Bocas del Toro, Panama. A secluded seaside hideaway, Scott Makeda has no idea that his tropical haven is about to become his personal hell. He literally said, I have the power of Satan. A serial killer pretending to be a therapist. Holbert rents a room and that's where he set up his business as a fake shrink. Accusations of a gringo mafia. Gun running, drugs. A slaughtered family. And then he goes back and he plants another bullet. A killer on tape. Hey man, I'm guilty. Everybody knows I'm a monster. The law of the jungle is simple. Survive. From Tree Fort Media and Village Roadshow Entertainment Group, this is Natural Selection, Scott versus Wild Bill. I'm your host, Candace DeLong. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Please be advised, this podcast contains graphic audio and themes that may not be appropriate for all listeners. It's been shocking to see some of the design errors that I have found in the building that I will think was crying out, uh, jumping off the page, so to speak, that it should have been caught earlier. And, and then knowing that 98 people died and how they died is just mind-boggling that this was not prevented. Dr. Abi Agayere is a professor of structural engineering at Drexel University in Philadelphia. And he's been working with the Miami Herald since the day Champlain Tower South went down almost a year ago. Dr. Agayere has said that he just can't understand how so many warning signs were missed. He says that this tragedy could have been and should have been avoided. How the building was designed, built, maintained, even how it was being repaired last year. He says it was all riddled with problems from start to the terrible finish. But what shocked Aguirre the most was a set of photos the Miami Herald showed him. One from downstairs in the building's underground garage and one from the pool deck above it. The first from November 2020 shows a concrete support column drenched in water that is leaking from above. The second, from June 2021, just 15 days before the collapse, shows an alarming crack in a planter on the pool deck. Dr. Agayere thought the column alone was a huge red flag, but taken together, in his view, they constituted an immediate emergency. And when I spoke to him over Zoom recently, he told me the ground floor slab of concrete, which was the pool deck on top and the ceiling of the parking garage underneath, you'll remember, had been showing such obvious signs of distress in the months leading up to the disaster that it should have been shored up immediately using supports in the garage and that emergency measures should have been on the table long before the deck crashed down and kicked off the chain reaction that ended with most of the tower coming down seven minutes later. I mean, you come to a building and you have cracks, you have leakage. I believe that this building should have been shored. This pool deck area should have been shored right from the very beginning and maybe even evacuate the building, uh, given what we know. Wait, you're, you're saying that given what we know about the state of the building, you think maybe it should have been evacuated? 
Yeah, given everything that we know, I believe it's more than hindsight is twenty twenty. I, I think there were uh, there were symptoms that should have prompted some more. You know, uh, you can shore up the slab. I mean, yes, there will be no parking spaces, but shore up the structure at least before you investigate. And if you have to evacuate, you know, a building, evacuate it. And then we don't have 98 people dying. Dr. Aga Yere compared the building to a patient complaining they're in pain and says that as far as he can see, the building's doctors kept treating the symptoms, but did not probe deeper to find the underlying source of the pain. Bottom line, he says, they were just not listening to the building, not looking hard enough to find the source of their patients' problems. Okay, we have cracks, let's patch up the cracks, epoxy the cracks, and then we're done. Okay, what's causing the crack? Why is this structure cracking? There's a reason why it's cracking. I always use the human body as an analogy, right? I mean, somebody's having a headache and, and it's consistent. You're giving them Tylenol or whatever other medicine you're giving them and it goes away, all right? But what's causing that, that uh, symptom that we're seeing outwardly is still there. There were many instances where the building was actually crying out for help. I'm Paul Bieben, and this is Collapse, Disaster in Surfside. In this episode, we're going to unpack a stunning new piece of exclusive reporting from the Miami Herald's investigative team. Even almost one year after the collapse, their work is ongoing, and they have uncovered previously unreported warning signs, those pictures and what they showed, what suddenly appeared in November 2020, and then again early last June, just days before the disaster. It was a symptom, as Dr. Agayere called it, a signal that this building was in imminent danger of catastrophic failure. Agayere said it should have been shored up, but it wasn't. Nothing was done about it. Um, so yeah, why don't why don't we we dive in? So we're talking about these photos um, that were taken on June eighth, and so can you just tell us how and when these cracks were discovered? Um, I don't remember the exact date. Um, the discovery by the, when we were doing property walk, it was noticed and reported to the engineers. That's Herald investigative reporter Nick Nehamas on a Zoom call with Scott Stewart. Scott Stewart was the building manager of Champlain Towers South from 2019 until the collapse. He'd been a building manager for more than a decade when he started working at Champlain South. This exclusive interview with Stewart was conducted just last week by Nehamas and the Herald's lead investigative reporter on the Surfside investigation, Sarah Blasky. Blasky is part of the Herald's reporting team that won this year's Pulitzer Prize for their breaking news coverage of Surfside. The photos that Stewart is discussing with the Herald's team are of two large cracks in one of the planters on the pool deck. Stewart told the Herald he kept a close eye on the building, which was approaching its 40th birthday. Whenever he spotted something unusual, Stewart said he would call Frank Morabido. He's the structural engineer the Condo Association had hired to oversee the 40-year recertification process and wrote the 2018 report that we've heard so much about in this series. 
early last June, Stewart was doing his daily inspection of the property when these two cracks caught his eye. So he contacted Morabito, who sent one of his junior engineers to take a look and take some pictures on June 8th. And And let me just ask you about that, Scott. You said the the property work. I just want to make sure we're talking about the same thing. In the new interview just last week, Sarah Blasky asked Stewart to confirm what he observed last June when he was doing that daily inspection. We're talking about the the large sort of horizontal crack and then the vertical crack in the planter that separated the west side of the pool deck from the like above ground parking area, correct? Correct. Correct. And and were you the first one that saw it or did someone report it to you and then you called the engineers? No, actually I I saw it when I was doing a property walk. We do a property walk almost every day just to, you know, for safety, for safety of the property. Let's pause now for just a moment, just to orient ourselves on Scott Stewart's walk around the property and paint a picture of these planters on the pool deck. These are large concrete boxes. They're filled with hundreds of pounds of sometimes wet and heavy soil. And they're arranged roughly around the perimeter of the pool deck. But the waterproofing on the planters had failed and the water leaked out of them and was causing severe structural damage to the slab below. This is according to Morabito's own report. At one point, there were palm trees growing in some of these planters, but the trees' deep roots became a problem in themselves. Now, making matters worse, sand and pavers were layered on top of the pool deck, and the Herald's experts said it was already bending and cracking under its own weight. It had been poorly designed from the start without enough slope to properly drain all the water off. The original building drawings included beams to support the deck planters from below, but in the final drawings, the beams were left out from beneath the planter that cracked for reasons that we'll probably never know. But as a result, this area was especially weak. As we just heard Sarah Blasky say, the cracked planter divided the pool deck from the parking area just off the lobby which was at the end of the driveway that came up from Collins Avenue. Back at the very beginning of the series, we heard the first Surfside police officer on the scene run up that driveway, where he would have run into the planter that we're talking about now, except it was gone because it had fallen into the garage below. Is anybody there? Is anybody there? Police! Um, I just had a fire center tell me that the uh, part of the building collapsed. Hello? Where are you? Are you okay? Are you okay? Fifteen days before that horrifying scene played out, the junior engineer had snapped his pictures of the planter. And these two cracks are very big. Sarah Blasky the container had cracked, maybe 20 feet horizontally. But also, there was a vertical crack that was gaping, and it kind of almost looked like the planter was splitting in two. The horizontal crack looks like one row of the concrete blocks the planter is made out of has somehow shifted a little bit off the row below it. It runs along the planter wall until it hits a shorter section of planter, 
that sits perpendicular to it, forming a little gate to the parking area. At this corner, the horizontal crack hooks upward into the jagged vertical crack that Sarah Blasky was describing. It looks almost as if someone had used a crowbar or a chisel to try to pry the walls apart where they form a right angle. And the cracks look big enough to stick your fingers into. A bit of dirt and debris had spilled out from inside. And at the top of the crack, one wall is about an inch or so lower than the other, almost as if one part of the planter had started to slump down into the garage below. You can see all of this in pictures on the Herald's website. In a moment, we're going to listen to some extended sections of the call where Scott Stewart is walking Sarah Blasky and Nick Nehemiah step-by-step through the reaction to the sudden appearance of these cracks. Here's Champlain Towers South building manager Scott Stewart telling investigative reporters Sarah Blasky and Nick Nehemiah about the response to the sudden emergence of cracks in the planter on the pool deck. Okay, and and so you see this, and you call who? Uh, the engineer that we had hired, uh, association had hired, which was Mona Beetle. Okay, and then and then what happened? They they sent out one of the junior engineers to come investigate it and take a look at it, and that's where these uh, pictures actually came from. Was from them taking the picture. And that's you in the picture. Right, Scott, moving the trash can? Yes, it is. So so they saw this crack, and what what did they do next? Um, Well, we had discussed it, and it appeared to be a root ball from the roots overgrown in the planter, which, I mean, you can see how dense the plants are in that area. And they were the plants were probably more than twenty years old, so it wasn't uncommon for that type of planter. And so it was determined that the planters were going to have to be rebuilt anyway. Um, that it didn't deem any more attention from that point. Okay, so we're going to pause here again for just a moment. What Stewart is saying is that he and the junior engineer had concluded that plant roots were the cause of these cracks that they'd gotten so big that they'd split the planters open. And since the planters were gonna be rebuilt as part of the ongoing renovations, they decided not to do anything else about this damage. Now, I wanna raise something here that might sound a little obvious, but I think it bears mentioning, and that is that plant roots grow very slowly. They tend not to suddenly get so big that all of a sudden one day they violently crack open a heavy concrete planter. And as Scott Stewart said, these plants were probably 20 years old. Now, anyone who's had outdoor plants in a climate where it drops below freezing knows that frozen dirt expands and it can suddenly shatter a pot, but this was Florida in June. I asked Dr. Agayere about what might have gone wrong here, and he broke it down in terms of forensic structural analysis. They didn't, they didn't really do anything it seems they just said oh it's probably roots cracking this thing open which kind of just i don't you know (laughs) it's not below freezing there this the the thing is not expanding and breaking it open i teach a course in forensics forensic structural engineering 
one of the things that uh, we're taught is to be open-minded and do what we call divergent thinking in terms of what other ways could this problem arise? Yes, if you were in the Northeast and you had, you know, freezing and, and, and thawing, you could have this happening. Yes, roots, if they uh, try to find their way through the joints between a wall, could cause cracks, but you need to rule them in or rule them out. But there are other ways uh, those cracks could, could form. The structure could be deforming or, or deflecting. You need to check that and rule that in or rule that out as well. So I, I believe that they should have checked all of the possible causes for a crack like this. Stewart inspected the property every day, and this was the first time he'd noticed these cracks, so it seems reasonable to conclude that they appeared basically all at once, maybe even overnight. And to that point, this exact same area had been photographed a little over a year before, in April 2020, and in those pictures, there is no sign of the cracks at all. Nick Nehamas picks it up here as he and Sarah Blasky press Stewart for even more details. Marabado sent, um, they sent a junior engineer, you said, to check it out. Uh, how, how long did that engineer spend looking at the cracks? Probably 10, 15 minutes. And did he then go downstairs to the garage to see what was underneath the area that was cracking? Not that I recall, no. Um, and do you think, I mean, do you think you would remember if he did that? Pretty sure, because I would have walked with him. And the, the roof was under construction at that point, or, or some of those repairs had been happening, correct? Correct. Uh, actually, what was happening is um, we were putting in the safety anchors required by OSHA for the scaffolding. I see. So this was um, this was kind of, hey, let's go look at this, look at the planter um, before we, we come and do what was planned for today, which is the roof and looking at those anchors. Correct. And so what, what did the junior engineer do with the photos he took? I, I would have to assume that he had sent them over to Frank to evaluate. And actually, I know he did because Frank and I had talked and thought it was just the roots from the plants that right, had so, made the wall separate. So that, so that day, Frank looked at the photos and what did he determine and what did he tell you? Um, my best recollection is that it wasn't anything that urgent um, since we were going to be taking the planters out anyway to waterproof the decks. Um, that we really, there was no action to be taken. No action to be taken. This, in a few words, is exactly the kind of decision Dr. Agayere told me in our interview that he found, in his words, mind-boggling. You've said surprising many times and i wonder does this to you cross over you know when does surprise sort of become this is negligent this is irresponsible this is you know um and they didn't go down into the garage to look underneath um maybe walk me through that and sort of what's your reaction what should have happened so going to take a look at the cracks 
of the planter boxes and taking pictures of those cracks uh, is fine, but the planter boxes don't support themselves. The planter boxes are supported by a structure. So if, if that's an outward symptom, but what is causing it is what I would have uh, been really focused on in terms of saying, uh, this structure is resting on this slab. I need to go down because you cannot really see the slab from the top. When when the, the young engineer came and checked the planters and saw the planter cracks, uh, he should have gone downstairs. And if he did not know to go downstairs, uh, the bosses or whoever was the project manager or the senior engineer uh, who sent them there should have instructed them to also go downstairs and take pictures and look at what is happening there. Because again, that is the structure that is holding up the planters. And so I, that bothers on the edge of not paying attention uh, to the structure crying out for help. As we heard Dr. Agayere say earlier, one thing he says he would have done immediately is shore up the pool deck slab. What this would have involved is installing rows of big metal braces that look a lot like scaffolding in the garage to prop up the deck from underneath. Nick Nehemas asked Scott Stewart if Frank Morabito had ever talked about doing that, a crucial step that could have averted disaster. So Scott, did, did Frank ever discuss emergency shoring? Not that I recall, no. And if emergency shoring was required, would you have been in the loop? I definitely would be. Okay, just to recap. In this interview, Scott Stewart told the Herald's investigative team that while he and Morabito's junior engineer did not go down into the garage on that particular occasion, on June 8th of last year, just 15 days before Champlain Tower South fell, he had been down in the garage with Morabito's people, quote, many times, which makes what Sarah Blasky is about to explain even more disturbing. Normally, a cracked planter wouldn't be cause for major alarm. You'd still want to find out why it cracked and do a little investigation. But generally, it isn't a five-alarm fire. Except for in this building, there had already been indications that that slab in that area was failing. Other photos that the Herald obtained show a column that's about 20 feet over in the middle of the pool deck, and water is just pouring down the column. I don't mean this column's a little wet. I mean, one of the engineers called it a waterfall. And what they say is, that's not normal. Not only is that not normal, but... but it indicates that the water actually has a pathway to pour into, meaning there is a crack that big in the slab above the column. And a crack that big in the slab above the column means that that column could really easily start to punch through the slab. It's a failure called punching shear. It's super dangerous, super fast, and it causes collapses like what we saw on the pool deck in June of last year. So how does this relate? to the planter? Well, 
engineers say they can't be sure because we don't have any photos from below the planter that day on June 8th when the engineers looked at it. But the planter sinking might have been something like a canary in the coal mine, indicating that this slab was imminently going to collapse. It was on the verge. If it had been on the verge in November when the original photos of the cascading water were taken, something had changed since then. Something had gotten worse. Or at least that was what these engineers said they would have been worried about, knowing the totality of the problems in that area. Here are some more details about these photos of this column, which was a 12 by 16 concrete pillar marked 76, which denoted a parking space. These pictures were taken in November 2020, and it had just rained. Stewart was touring the garage with someone from Morabito's team. Now, other columns around the garage were sometimes wet, mostly from leaking pipes, that's what Stewart said. But column 76 was by far the worst. As Sarah Blasky explained, water was streaming down the column in these pictures. The paint was grimy, it's peeling, and the number 76 was actually partially smeared off. At the bottom of the pillar, there's a pile of sediment building up on the floor. And at the top, where the column meets the slab above, there's rust-colored stains, which suggest the rebar inside the concrete there was corroding, which increases the risk of that punching shear that Sarah Blasky was talking about. There are flakes and little icicles of paint dangling from the ceiling all around the column. In other words, it looks, to a casual observer, like water had been running through the slab and down this column for a very, very long time. Nick Nehemaz says these photos are key to the investigation. The photos from underneath, from the garage of this soaking wet column, those really broke the story open for us from an investigative angle because all the engineers we talked to said the cracks in the planter wall aren't enough. They're concerning, but they're not enough to call for emergency shoring. We need to see photos from down below. We got those photos. I, of course, can't say how we got those photos, but they led several engineers we talked to to say, yes, emergency shoring should have been installed. Stewart said Morabito's team snapped the pictures of the column and the slab above it to include in a bid for the upcoming concrete restoration process, which was set to begin the following year. Now, remember, this was all part of the $15 million repair plan for the 40-year recertification process that Morabito was in charge of. But if his people had had more immediate concerns about the structural integrity of this area around the column, they never told Stewart. He said they took the pictures and then did nothing more. Dr. Agayere, who has been working with the Herald's investigative team, as we said, since they woke up to news of the disaster, he called this shocking. He examined the pictures of column 76, and he painted for me a vivid and frightening picture of how punching shear works, how fast and devastating it would be. Punching shear happens suddenly without warning. So that's, you know, the failure mode that I would have been prompted to take a look at because of that ring of, of corrosion stain that was happening right around the perimeter of the column itself. 
The question is, what was happening to the riba within the slab in that region? Was that riba still sound or was it all totally corroded? Uh, if it's totally corroded, then it's not going to be doing its job, the job of, of resisting bending in the concrete. And so the concrete is just going to be like, um, you know, dry biscuits and, and, and it's just going to just crack. Nothing, right. nothing resisting that cracking at all. Wow. Dry biscuit. That's, that's very, you understand immediately the, just the sense that you could just, it's like you said, just poke a pen right yeah. through a cookie. It's just yeah. going to pop, yeah. pop yeah. right through it. Yeah. Dr. Agayere said the picture scared the daylights out of him. And as he said earlier, he would have immediately ordered emergency shoring and evacuated the building entirely. The old adage of better safe than sorry definitely applied here. I mean, was was this tragedy avoidable? I believe the tragedy was avoidable. I, I, I believe in my heart of hearts that this tragedy was avoidable. Uh, this tragedy was caused by a combination of factors that just came together uh, to form this perfect, uh, you know, worst case scenario. And I believe that it was avoidable uh, from a maintenance standpoint, uh, from a design standpoint, from a construction standpoint, uh, it was avoidable. Records show Morabito did warn the condo association about structural problems at the building, but in a court filing, the association said he never determined whether the building was, quote, safe, safe with qualifications, or unsafe, unquote. That was required by his contract. In a well-designed structure, experts say the localized failure of a pool deck should not cause the collapse of an entire tower. But as we've heard throughout this entire series, Champlain Tower South was not well-designed. It was not well-built and it was not well-maintained. It was, as Dr. Aguirre just said, a worst-case scenario. The collapse could have been triggered by Column 76 suddenly punching all the way through the slab, as it had been apparently threatening to do for months. Or, the Herald's experts say, the sequence might have been different, a failure of the connection between the deck slab and structural perimeter wall, or elsewhere, could have come first and then triggered the punching shear at column 76. The end result would have been the same, the pool deck failure then propagating into the tower. We may never know the precise sequence and the final results of the federal investigation are months, maybe even years away. In the time since our last episode, just a week in addition, to this new exclusive investigative reporting that we've just covered in this episode, there has been another major development in this case, a $997 million global settlement between the plaintiffs, that's the survivors and the families of the dead, and the defendants in the class action lawsuit. This settlement includes all of the firms associated with 87 Park, that's the luxury building next door that we covered in our last episode. And you'll recall that those firms denied having anything to do with the collapse. That nearly billion dollar payout does not include the sale of the approximately two acre beachfront lot where Champlain Tower South once stood. That is expected to fetch 
at least $120 million. Among many other parties to the class action lawsuit, the settlement also includes the town of Surfside and Securitas, which is the company that employed Shimoka Furman and all the other security guards who worked at Champlain Towers South. The exact amounts involved have mostly not been disclosed. Morabito Consultants will pay $16 million through its insurance coverage. We will learn more about this historic settlement, the moving statements made by the judge, the astonishment he expressed when he learned about it, and so much more about this building and the people who lived in it in our next episode, the final installment in our series, Collapse, Disaster in Surfside. Collapse, Disaster in Surfside is produced by Treefort Media, the Miami Herald, and the McClatchy Company. Visit miamiherald.com forward slash surfside dash podcast, that's all lowercase, to learn more about our investigation and to read articles mentioned in today's episode. And if you can, please rate the episode as well, as it'll help others find our podcast. Our hearts and our admiration go out to our guests who have so bravely shared their stories so that we may bring to light the many stories of all the people impacted by this tragedy. We also want to thank the experts who have joined us for sharing their insights. Special thanks to the team at WLRN in Miami, as well as CBS 4 News in Miami, for sharing supplementary materials to help us tell this story. Collapse, Disaster in Surfside was executive produced by Kelly Garner and Lisa Ammerman for Treefort Media, Monica Richardson and Rick Hirsch for the Miami Herald. I'm your host, Paul Bieben. The series was written and produced by Eric Salant and me, Paul Bieben, for Treefort Media. Editing by Maxwell Carney and Abigail Sullivan. Mixed by Maxwell Carney. Treefort Head of Audio is Tom Monahan. Line produced by Oscar Guideau. English translations by Anne Liu and Lindsay Whistler. With additional production assistance by Jared Brom, Haley Mandelberg, Colin Motel, and Lindsay Whistler. For the Miami Herald, Monica Richardson serves as executive editor. Managing editor is Rick Hirsch. Senior Vice President of News, Kristen Roberts. Senior Vice President of Advertising, Tony Berg. McClatchy Managing Editor, Cynthia DuBose. Audience Development Editor, Adrian Rui. Miami Investigative Editor, Casey Frank. Miami Herald Senior Editor, Dave Wilson. Miami Herald Information Services, Monica Leal. Copyright 2021 by Treefort Media and the Miami Herald. Sound recording copyright 2021 by Treefort Media.